Have you ever been in a situation to where you have felt all alone and seemingly no way out? Have you ever felt like you're in a situation to where you're all alone and there is seemingly no way out? I debated whether or not to tell this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Some of you know this story. It's a rather humorous story, but I'll tell it. Back whenever I was at Mount Vernon Nazarene College, um, some of us friends uh, got together and uh, we decided to go to the local football game. And we, it was about four or five guys, three or four girls, it was just one big group that we went together. And um, we decided to leave the football game a little early. And uh, I'd say about a mile down the road was a McDonald's, a McDonald's restaurant. And so uh, my friends are up at the counter, they're ordering, and I just, uh, I said, I'll be right back, I have to go to the restroom. So I went back to the restroom, and I went into the door, and, you know, I just dodged into the first stall when I was there. And, and, uh, you know, after a couple of minutes, you know, I'm getting ready to you know, leave, and, um, but I'm, I'm in the stall, and, and after a couple minutes, uh, you know, some people start coming in, and all of a sudden I hear voices that are not guy voices. <laughs> How many of you remember this story from 15 years ago? <laughs> Thank you, Dick. He'll never forget it. I will never forget it either, Dick. I was in the wrong restroom. Now, some of you may have done that before, um, but uh, I've been in a situation to where I felt all alone and I had no way out. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, hold on here. Just, just relax. Just give this individual a minute or two and, let, and they'll leave. And as soon as they leave, you can get out of here and, and you'll be safe. But you have to remember that this was right after a football game. And a mile down the road. And I'm not kidding you, the longer that I waited more girls just kept coming in and kept coming in. I'm not kidding, within five minutes, there must have been 30 or so women in that bathroom. And here I am, and I backed into the corner of this stall like a scared rat. I didn't know what to do, you know. It's like, God help me. There were a couple of times where I thought, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to open that door, and I'm going to go out of here, I'm going to close my eyes, and I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. And what I did not realize, did you ever have a time when you just wanted to get out? Uh, What I did not realize is that my friends, as soon as I left to go to the restroom, my friends had decided they wanted to go to Taco Bell. So they're out in the car just waiting for me. They're thinking, what is wrong with Brock? Maybe he's, you know. So it must have been 15, 20 minutes. And and every once in a while, I would hear a on the stall door. What am I supposed to say, you know? I'm not done yet. Give me a couple more minutes, you know. I just did not know. I felt helpless. I was embarrassed. Well, I think somebody um, looked underneath the door and they saw some guy tennis shoot. And they went and got the lady manager. (laughs) And I thought, oh my goodness, this is getting horrible. And so I heard a knock on the stall door and the manager said, hey, who's in there? I'm like, oh. The gig is up. I'm going to have to face this, you know. And so I opened the stall door and I walked out. And um, 
And I couldn't even look at the ladies. It was just so embarrassing. And um, I said, obviously, I'm in the wrong restroom. And I said, I just want to get out of here, and I'm so sorry. And there were so many ladies that as I walked out of the restroom, it was like the parting of the waters. They just parted, and I just went straight through and got out of there. And uh, as soon as I, walked, I went out and I went right across the, uh, the, the other side to the men's restroom, I wanted to get back in familiar territory. And... Uh, so, um, and I'd say no more than one minute after I'm in the guy's restroom, one of my friends came in. And he said, Brock, he said, we've been waiting on you for like 20, 25, 25 minutes. He said, are you okay? You feeling all right? No, I'm not feeling well at all. <laughs> and to this day, none of them know what happened. I never have told any of them. Is this being recorded, Brian? It's being recorded now. Yeah. Have you ever been in a situation you felt all alone? Well, after a while, I wasn't alone, but I felt like there was no way out. Life can be like this. Some of you here today may feel like you're all alone with seemingly no way out of a mess. And unlike my story, your story might not be quite so humorous. Maybe some of you are in an agonizing period of just waiting. You're just waiting on God to move. You're forced to sit in solitude, desperately wanting God to show up and move. Yet he seems far away, if not absent altogether. It's interesting, I've talked about this before, and you've heard this, you know, this concept. It's interesting how much stress and difficulties we can endure if it's just for a short time. But when it goes on and on and on, when there is seemingly no resolution to our problem, it's amazing how life just seems to crumble around us. Have you ever cried out to God saying, God, I'm in the middle of a mess. And I need you now. God, I'm in the midst of a difficulty and I don't, I don't need you tomorrow, God. I need you right now. There seems to be many within our church right now that seem to be going through situations like this. Many who might even be wondering if God is even around. This, this message has been mauling around in my mind for several weeks, and it just seems like, uh, you know, I, I think a church family, they kind of go through spurts. You know, you don't, there's not many uh, uh, major things going on, and then sometimes it just seems like, Everything breaks loose. I see Dana back there. Dana might be able to say, yeah. Larry Pope. My mother-in-law, Mert. Dean Burrell. Lyle and Karen Kayser. Roger Hudnell's gone through his fair share of difficulties lately. Last week we heard about Dennis Manbeck's family and just the incredible ordeal that they're going through. Shelly Beachy's here. Lord knows that she could write a book. Bring Klein. Jeannie and Mercedes, you guys have gone through it as well. Reuben, you're here. 
Marion Shoup, you're here. Not to mention the family and the loved ones that have walked down the road with these individuals. And I know that I've left some people out. And, um, but some of you are going through maybe some hidden private pains and storms. And you wonder if God hears and you wonder if God knows. You wonder if God is even there at all. I want to speak to you today, this morning, on the topic of God in the midst. God in the midst. If that is you this morning, if you're in this situation of life and God is seemingly nowhere near, let me tell you right from the start that God is there. He knows, he sees, and he's still on the throne and he is still in control. He is ever interceding for you and me, church. Now that just sounds like something that a pastor or preacher is going to say. So I'll say if you don't believe me, okay, let's look at some examples. There's going to be, I'm going to go through this a lot this morning which is why I just felt like I wanted to jump on this this morning. I want you to know that God is in the midst. God is in the midst. Genesis 1, 1, right from the beginning, it says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning. So right from the beginning, we know that God has been there. God called to Moses. If you want to follow with me, you can. It's in Exodus Some of these I kind of want you to see, so follow with me. I'll have you all over the place, but Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to be reading, I use the New King James Version mainly here, but if you don't have the exact verbiage, then it will communicate a similar concept, I'm sure. But I want you to see this. Don't just take my word for it. I want you to hear it from God and His Word. Exodus 3, let's start with verse 1. Exodus 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. In verse 4, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him, where? From the midst of the bush, and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. When God calls this church, He calls us from within the midst. When God protects us, He protects us in the midst. Turn over a few chapters to Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8, starting with verse 20. This is now Moses uh, uh, um, confronting Pharaoh and the, and the, the plagues that are taking place. Exodus chapter 8, verse 20. And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water, 
Then say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. In verse 22. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst which they stand. You don't have to turn here, but Deuteronomy 23.14 says, For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp. He's talking to the Israelites, his people. For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and give your enemies over to you. You see, folks, God has always been in the midst of his people. Amen? He's always been in the midst of his people, guiding them and protecting them. What makes you and I any different? Still don't, still don't believe me? Go to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. When we are in trouble, whenever we need deliverance, when your world, when my world, when our world seems to be falling apart, God is there. Psalm 46. Starting with verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And here we go. Verse 2. Therefore we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God the holy place of the tabernacle of the most high I like this next verse for God is in the midst of her she shall not be moved God shall help her just at the break of dawn Psalm 138 7 says though I walk in the midst of trouble you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. In the midst of our trouble, God is in the midst. Let me say that again. In the midst of our trouble, God is in the midst. Don't ever forget that. Folks, sometimes just that thought alone, I've, in my notes here, I just have ITM. In the midst, just so I didn't have to type it out every time. It's just ITM, ITM. Just that thought alone and holding on to that might be the only thing that will pull you through. Listen, even before we came to Christ, when there was sin in our hearts, God was in our midst ready to deliver us. We need not look any further than the story of the woman caught in adultery. I love this. Go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Maybe you need to underline all the times it says in the midst or whatever form your version says. But John chapter 8. A beautiful picture of what it is that we're trying to communicate here. John chapter 8 verses 3 and 4. Hmm. 
says, Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught, caught in adultery in the very act. Folks, this was probably the worst day of her life. And in the worst day of her life, Jesus was in the midst. Jesus was right there. We know what happened. The scribes, the Pharisees, the leaders, they had the stones in their hands ready to take justice, ready to take the law and and, and, uh, to punish this woman. And Jesus, riding in the sand, said, He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And when we see this in the Scripture, what it says is that, that they all left. And we see this woman left alone, still in her sin, still with her guilt and shame, but even here, Jesus was there. For look at verse 9. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. (laughs) Christ is there in the midst, wanting to redeem us back to him. On the first ever Good Friday, we see three crosses. And on the two outside crosses, we see two thieves who represent the sin of the world. And who is the one that is hanging right in the middle of all of them? We see Jesus in the midst. Yeah. Paying the price for your sin. Paying the price for my sin ready to offer salvation, grace, and forgiveness. Folks, it doesn't matter if there's some hidden secret sin that you're dealing with that's in your life. Jesus is there in the midst, ready to rescue you, save you, ready to make you whole. Amen. Church, whether we feel like it or not, God, Jesus, the Godhead, the three-in-one, has always been in the midst. But if you realize it right, he's here right now in our midst. Oh, there's more. In the middle of our discouragement, doubts and fears. If I were to ask how many of you right now came in here discouraged, I'd probably get a number of hands. Or I saw one just pop up. Number of hands would probably go up discouragement, doubt, and fear. Jesus wants to speak peace and comfort. This is a really cool story here. Go with me to the scene. Go to uh, John chapter 20. John chapter 20. All right? Now, go with me to this scene. This is the scene after Jesus was crucified. Now, you can imagine what the disciples were going through. Just put yourself in their shoes for a second. They had they'd given everything up of their life. They had they'd left it all to follow this man named Jesus for over three years. And they believed that he was even the Son of God. Now they saw him hanging from a tree. And for all intents and purposes, they had to have felt as though their life was over. Ever felt like that? But I want you to listen to what happened. John chapter 20, verse 19. says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood 
in the midst (laughs) and said to them, peace be with you. Did you catch that? Not just the in the midst part, but did you catch that? Then the same day of the evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, Jesus appeared, folks, in flesh and blood. He came through the doors that were shut. Do you realize that? He was not in their midst before that. They were in the room. The doors were shut. There was no way in unless they opened the door. The door was shut. And Jesus somehow miraculously, mightily manifested and came through and was in their midst. Are you kidding me? And Brock doubts God sometimes. In the middle of their darkest, blackest hour, Jesus came. He wants to do the same for you and me. He wants to penetrate the very walls of our heart, the walls of our problem, and He wants to speak peace to someone here today. If Jesus can penetrate physical walls, He can penetrate your situation. One more story. One more story. You don't have to turn there. You can just listen. You know the story. King Nebuchadnezzer erected a golden statue that was 60 cubits, and I believe that's about 90 feet. How wide is this sanctuary? Anybody have a clue? Richard? Don, how, how wide is this? It's probably close to 90 feet, give or take. Okay? Might be, long, might be wider than that. That's how wide this statue was, and it was 90 feet high. So just kind of tip this room up on, on end, and that's how big this statue was. We know the story. King Nebuchadnezzar erected this statue. Everybody at the sound of the music had to bow down and worship. If not, they would be thrown into the furnace. What's the furnace that they were going to be thrown into was probably the one that made the golden image. It was just there on site. They brought all the gold and they melted it and they fashioned this golden, uh, this golden image. And so if you would not bow, you would go into the same furnace that they used to make the image. And then we see three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or if you're a VeggieTales person, Radshack and Benny, right? Remember Radshack and Benny? And we know they would not bow. And so some of um, King Nebuchadnezzar's uh, henchmen, they came to him and said, Hey, look, you've got three guys that you know, you've kind of put in leadership and they're not bowing. It's kind of embarrassing and they're staying up in the midst of all of this. And what are you going to do about it? So King Nebuchadnezzar said, bring them here, let me talk to them. Maybe there's some misunderstanding. It says that he was upset, but he gave them another chance. Maybe you you didn't really understand what I'm trying to say. I mean, everybody else around you is bowing. You need to get with the program. And if you do, great. But he said, if you don't, what's interesting is the last part of verse 15. He said, but if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And then he taunted them, and he said, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hand? I love what they said. They said, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. 
If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O King. But if not, let it be known to you, O King, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. That is the backdrop. You know the story. Now let me read here. Verse 19, the Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning and fiery furnace. I'll come, yeah, we'll get to that. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 23, And these three men fell down, bound into the midst of the, of the burning, fiery furnace. And here we go, here it is. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast? Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Somebody say praise the Lord. Church, God was in the midst of their greatest need. He didn't leave them and He won't leave you today. He purposely allowed them to go into the furnace. Some of you might be in a furnace and you're wondering, why, God, are you doing this? He allowed them to go into the furnace so He could display His power, His might, so He might receive all the glory, praise, and honor. Not only is God in the midst, He is able to deliver in the midst. And He can make it as though you don't even look like you've been in the fire. You don't even smell like you've been in the fire. Not one hair on your head will be singed. You'll come out smelling like a rose. Because God can do that. That's our God. And I say this morning, O weary soul, Jesus wants to walk in the midst of of your fiery furnace this morning. You're not alone. You're not on your own. Why is He allowing you to display His power and might in your life? So that He can receive all the glory, praise, and the honor. So that our faith and hope will be in Him and in Him only. Listen, this, this is a big part of it. Believing that God is in the midst takes faith because most of the time when we need the most help is when we're in the middle of our difficulty. In the middle of it. When it first starts, a lot of people can handle that. But in the middle, whether it's a long, short, doesn't matter. You can believe that He sees and He knows. 
Let me read an article from Streams in the Desert. The author of this particular devotional day said, When crossing the Atlantic by ship, I once observed this very principle of faith. I saw no path marked out on the sea, nor could I even see the shore. Yet each day, we marked our progress on a chart as if we had been following a giant chalk line across the water. And when we came within sight of land on the other side of the Atlantic, we knew exactly where we were, as if we had been able to see it from 3,000 miles away. How had our course been so precisely plotted? Every day our captain had taken his instruments, looked to the sky, and determined his course by the sun. He was sailing using heavenly lights, not earthly lights. Genuine faith always looks up and sails by using God's great sun, S-O-N. It never travels by seeing the shoreline, earthly lighthouses, or paths along the way. And the steps of faith often lead to total uncertainty or even darkness and disaster. But the Lord will open the way and often makes the darkest of midnight hours as bright as the dawning of the day. This is how we need to be living in the midst. While we feel alone, that's how we need to be living. Remember, we have no more faith at any time than we have in our hour of trial. Let me read that again. We have no more faith at any time than we have in our hour of trial. Now, I have been doing a lot of talking this morning about how God is in the midst. But let me conclude with a vitally important point this morning. You see, knowing that Jesus is in the midst of our church is good, but it's not good enough. Knowing that Jesus is in the midst of bewildered and confused hearts is good, but it's not good enough. Jesus in the midst of our struggle against sin is fine, but it's not fine enough. You don't have to turn there, I'll have it up on the screen, but Colossians 1.27, there is a nugget of truth, there is a nugget of gold here that I believe is the linchpin, it is the key to unlocking really what we're talking about. Colossians 1.27 says this, To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, and here it is, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Did you catch that? It is Christ in you. You see, the key to all of this is not so much that Jesus is in the midst, but Jesus is in your midst. 
Jesus being in the midst means nothing if he's not in you. This knowing God and Jesus in the midst now just goes beyond the storms and the trials of life, but it encompasses all of life. You see, Jesus should not just be walking beside you, Jesus should be walking in you. Directing you, guiding you, influencing you. If Christ is truly in you, now let me stop. If Christ is truly in you, and you know this morning if he's truly in you. Or you know if there's some corner, some area of your heart that's off limits to God. God, I've got all this covered. Lord, there's one area I'm not going to let you have control of. But if Jesus is truly in you, then he promises to be a powerful force within the church. Then he promises to help us find our way through the darkest storms. Then he promises to help us conquer temptation and sin. You see, Jesus in the midst means nothing unless you have given him the right to be in your midst. He should be breathing through you flowing through you, just as Jesus possessed a physical body 2,000 years ago, He wants to possess your physical body today. See, it's in Christ in you. Just as Jesus took on the form of hands and had hands, He wants to take on your hands today. Just as He had feet, He wants your feet today. You see, it's Christ in you. You. He wants to direct everything about you. As Jesus penetrated the very walls of the room where the disciples were discouraged and beaten down that day, He wants to penetrate the walls of your life. He wants to penetrate your skin. He wants to penetrate your mind. Jesus must be living and reigning in the very interior of who we are this morning, church. Controlling everything about us. You see, once Christ is in you, there will never be a temptation where Jesus is not in the midst and He's not in your midst. Once Christ is in you, there's no trial, no difficulty, no painful time of waiting where Jesus is not in the midst of where Jesus is not in your midst. Giving you what you need to make it through. Kind of deep, isn't it? Is that not though where it's at? Which is Christ in you. Are you in the middle of a mess? Are you feeling all alone? Do you need Jesus and do you need him now? Do you need him in your midst? It all starts by making sure that Christ is ruling and reigning in you. And you'll have him in your midst for life's most challenging times. You see, all of those stories, all of those stories that we talked about and all of those illustrations, God delivered the individual, but only when that individual allowed Christ to be in them. 
fast to start with that. And even the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, she got victory. See, Christ was in her midst, but she got victory whenever she made it Christ out here to Christ in here. And I'm not just talking salvation, I'm just talking us as believers. How much is Christ in our midst? How much is Christ in you? Dictating what you think, dictating where you go. I have to tell you, the last couple of days, our softball team, we were in the tournaments. And um, I was proud of our team. Only because some of the churches, some of the teams that we were playing displayed attitudes that were ugly. Just ugly. Swearing going on. It just got ugly. Even wanting to pick a fight with our guys. But our guys remained cool. What I mean cool is they remain calm and they remain, I believe, a picture of Christ in you. That's what it's about. See, he wants to dictate everything with our life. The, the, the feelings of discouragement and fear and anxiety and worry that you're feeling when Christ is in you, then you know that he's in your midst and you don't have to give in to all of that to the enemy, to the evil one. When he is in your midst, he is in your midst. We're going to close. We didn't ask for prayer requests earlier, and I'm not going to open that up now. I just happened to look. I'm sure there are prayer requests here. And um, I have a video that I'm going to show. It's a song by Carrie Job. Love this song. We're going to make this our prayer time. If during this time, if during this song, God's speaking to you, make your way up to the altar and acknowledge, God, I need you. And I need you now. Allow him to be Christ in you to be in your midst and help you through whatever it is that you're going through. Just be obedient to the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, um, Lord, what would we do if you weren't in our midst? What would we do, Father, if we had to truly walk this life alone? Lord, there's only so much that our family members can do. I mean, They can't penetrate the heart like you can. They can't penetrate the walls of our soul like you can. God, you want to be in the midst of someone this morning. Father, if there's needs here, I pray that they'll bring them before you. And Thank you. Thank you that you have always been in the midst. And we can trust you. In Jesus' name we ask all these things.
be obedient to the Lord. You want this just to be a time with you and God or grab someone and say, hey, would you pray with me? Remember, though, you're not alone. You're never alone.